Last Sunday, we walked through the beginning of Ephesians, and we talked about how God's glorious grace has adopted us as sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. And I just want to put this on the front end of this sermon, because a lot of you were really encouraged last Sunday, but for a lot of you, as I got to see your faces for the first time in so long from up here, I've been preaching to a camera, I have no idea how people are reacting to what I'm saying, but last week I saw the reaction, and the reaction a lot of the time was people whose worldview and former view of God was getting disrupted slash blown up in a moment. And it was like, I was preaching and I'm watching them going, no, no, I've never heard that before. No, I don't know what to do with what you're telling me. And it isn't that what I was preaching was bad. It's just that what I was preaching from the word of God runs contrary to a lot of our assumptions. And something that I was encouraged to do as a college student is something I want to encourage everybody to do at some point. I want you to take account of how many assumptions and biases you carry to opening the word of God. Because every time we open the word of God, we have a tendency of carrying everything we've ever heard about God and everything we've ever assumed about God. And so when I was in college, I started coming into contact with things in the scriptures that I've never really noticed before. And I was like, I don't know what to do with that because that kind of runs contrary to who I thought God was or what I thought God was like and what I assumed the scripture said. And I had a mentor speak into me. He said, what you need to try to do is you need to try to read the New Testament of the Bible and delete everything you've ever heard about God. And I was like, well, some of the things I heard was good, and, and I've been in church my whole life. I've been in Sunday school. How do I do that? And it isn't that everything I'd ever heard was bad. It's just that I never really realized how many things I was holding God to in my own mind, and I wasn't giving him permission to just be who he is in the Bible. In 2020, let me just tell you this. It's really contrary to what culture says. You do not have the right to tell God who to be. God has the right through the scriptures to reveal who he is. Because at the end of the day, if he's God and you were created by him, this is going to shatter some of your minds. He has permission to be whomever he wants. And so I, I think a lot of us who grew up in the Bible Belt, especially and in the American church, what we've done over time is we've kind of constructed a God in our own image who we like to worship, who we like to believe in. And he does things according to what we assumed he was going to do. Guys, that's called idolatry. Reading the Bible is when you go, God, you know what? You're God, and you have permission to be different than I am, because guess what? If God was not totally different than the way you think, you would have never been saved. If God did not run totally contrary to so many of our assumptions, he is not the God of glorious grace that we read about last week. And so I just wanted to get in front of you and humbly go, as you open the scriptures, allow God to speak to you about who he is, and then allow the formation of your theological stances and your denominational preferences to come into place. Because here's the reality at ACC. As a non-denominational church, we will always be loaded with people who disagree theologically. We have a lot of Presbyterians who attend this church, and we have a lot of Pentecostals. Those are like so different. We have people who grew up Southern Baptists. We have people who grew up Methodists. We have people who come from the Anglican Church, Episcopalian. We have people who coming here today is your first time not being at a Catholic church. And your worldview's already been exploded since the first song started and we were singing about holy ground and what are we doing here? I realize that. But with so many different people who, who see the scripture so many different ways, the thing that we have to be unified on across the board is a humble heart to let God speak to us. 
and, and an openness to read the scriptures and receive what the Bible says. Then if we land in different places theologically or we agree to disagree about minor things, that's okay. I'm not saying we have to agree about every ounce of doctrine. But what I am saying is our doctrine of who God is always has to be formulated by what the Bible says, not what we want to be true about God. At the end of the day, I promise you, whatever's different about God than what you wanted is better that way. I also want to challenge you. Gosh, you're like, man, this is coming down like a hammer right out of this message. It was a rainy day. I needed something uplifting. I got a little bit more. I also want to encourage you to read the Bible in context. When we read a book of the Bible like Ephesians, a lot of us have verses memorized and things that we've grown up hearing about, but we've never really thought about who wrote this letter and why did they write it? Because the truths of scriptures are meant to be seen in a greater context as a whole of redemptive history. And so Ephesians, this New Testament letter, was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Around the same time, he wrote the book of Colossians, which I think is cool because we did Colossians earlier in this pandemic. And now he's in prison, but he founded this church way earlier. And you can read about that in Acts chapters 19 and 20. If you get time, you'll see Paul's relationship with the church in Ephesus. It's amazing to read the beginnings of that. But this is years after that. Paul's imprisoned in Rome, writing to this church that he loves in this city that is so strategic, multi-ethnic, lots of different people, port city. But he's writing it because the church is about to totally divide. There's Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who just can't see eye to eye. And they could end up going two totally different directions. And Paul writes Ephesians to go, no, we will come together in humility because we've been adopted into the same family. The body of Christ is intended to be unified. One faith, one baptism, one Lord overall. That's later in Ephesians. And he's going, we've got to humble ourselves to be unified as one body. Yes, that's why we're preaching it in October and November of 2020 at Auburn Community Church. But that's the context for which you read last week about the adoption of God as sons and daughters that we have been welcomed into a family we didn't deserve to be in. And that's the context that you're going to hear part two. Are you ready for the title of part two? I need you to pray for me because I'm already losing my voice and it's the, only the second service. I'm out of preaching shape, guys. So I totally lost my voice last week, just now getting it back and it could be gone by this afternoon. And if you've ever been to our night services, you know I'm going to need my voice tonight. Part two of our Ephesians series is titled Breaking Through Darkness. Breaking Through Darkness. Look at somebody next to you say breakthrough, breakthrough. Look at somebody you just ignored and say we're breaking free. Breaking free. We're soaring, flying. There's not a star in. That's a high school musical reference. All right, save that one for later. It's gonna be. It's gonna be powerful. I got to give you this title to frame where we're going. Ephesians one today is going to speak to somebody who's in a dark place. I believe God can use this word to speak to anybody, but specifically, this is for you if you're in a lonely place. If you got really honest about how things have gone lately spiritually, you haven't sensed the presence of God in a while. Maybe that whole first set of worship, you're a little bit envious of the people in the room who actually feel God. Your heart has become a little bit numb. Maybe you're a little apathetic and you just wish you cared as much as you used to. Maybe you're hopeless because of something that happened this year and like hope has just been drowned out by bad circumstance and disappointment and betrayal and difficulty and heartbreak to where you're still going through the motions. You're still at church, still surrounded by your Christian friends. Like you're not going to go crazy, but you're not overflowing with a level of hope and joy and belief like you once were. You're in a dark place. And for some of you, if you're like me, you're just extremely inconsistent and you go in and out of dark places and good places in the same day. 
Like when, when I was younger, I feel like I would go through a dark season when something bad happened. Then I'd go through like a sunny season another day. And now, six years into starting this church, father of two, absolutely love Jesus and love life. But I could get to a dark place by 7 a.m. And I could be better like by lunch. And then I'm right back in the darkness of my own soul by 3 o'clock. And, and part of that's just my personality. If you can imagine like how hyped up and emotional I am most of the time, that has equally as uh, detrimental lows for me. And so I'll find myself in a given day going, gosh, that was such a dark place. Thank God for lunch and coffee. Thank God for just getting rescued from that place that I had gone to. But I want to preach specifically to somebody who, if you had control over your own spiritual emotions and affections, you would do something about where you are right now. You would do something about the level to which you do not care about the gospel today. You would do something about how depressed and in despair you have become. You know the word depressed and despair, it's, li it's literally the word for being in the dark and not believing you will ever make it back to the light. So you're so anxious and so trapped. I thought especially in this message preparing, I thought especially about the incoming college freshmen who not only had to move their life to college during a pandemic, but lost their senior year of high school. Like the class of 2020, good night. Has there ever been a class that had their world rocked in a way that yours did? And maybe you're in Auburn and this is like the only place you've been to so far where you've been able to meet people. I want to preach to you today. I want to talk about breakthrough, and I want to talk about breaking through darkness, but I want you to know from the beginning, when I say we're going to experience a breakthrough, and we sang that song, Breakthrough, that's not like spiritual hype. I don't mean like cliche, like five steps to a breakthrough, because the world loves to talk about breakthroughs. The world loves to go, hey, you want to experience a breakthrough? All you got to do is buy my book. All you got to do is come to this conference. All you got to do is do this, do this, and then boom, breakthrough. It's coming on the other side of this little machine or this message that maybe somebody with all the answers has. No, breakthrough spiritually is a lot more simple than that. The breakthrough that you're looking for spiritually is not on the other side of a new level of wisdom that you need to arrive at. The breakthrough that you're looking for spiritually is on the other side of prayer. I'm going to put this on the screen. It's not going to get you excited at all, but it's true, so I need to say it. The pathway to spiritual breakthrough is always, always, always prayer. If you want a new level of the presence of God, if you want a new knowledge of who God is, if you want to be rescued from the dark night in your soul that you're sitting in right now, I believe it's on the other side of prayer. And like one person is excited about that line in the entire church because I get it. It's not that exciting to talk about. A lot of you are like, you think if I pray one prayer or I get serious about prayer, everything about the darkness that I'm sitting in will go away. And I'm not saying it just because I have to or because scriptures walk us through many moments where that's true. I'm saying it because I've tasted it in my own life. If you and I could see what really happens every time we open our mouth in prayer, we would never stop praying. The only pathway to a breakthrough today is you talking out loud to God. And it follows that this would be true because last week we talked about being adopted as children of God into a family where we have a new heavenly father who loves us, who's with us, who's for us. If the new context of your relationship with God goes from far away enemies to child in his family, what do you think the main context of that relationship is going to function like? A father providing for and loving his children who ask for stuff. And that's not to say that God becomes a genie or a vending machine that gives you whatever you want. But it is to say, if you have a relationship where God 
is your dad. Don't you think if you're stuck in a dark place today that you should ask him to get you out of it? Don't you think if you don't feel anything spiritually that you should say out loud, God, I wish I felt like you were close and I know you're my dad on paper, but I want that to be true in my heart. Can you make it so? And some of us don't realize this, but we've had theoretical prayers making our souls sick from the inside because they haven't made it out of our mouths. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think for a lot of us in our souls, we've had so many things dashed that we go, I don't even believe that things could get better. And I believe today that prayer is just sitting there going, let me out. Actually say it to God and watch what happens. I got a a pretty disgusting illustration, but it worked at the 9. So we'll see if it works at the 11. I hate throwing up. Like There's very few things I hate more than becoming so nauseous that you have to throw up. Because like, I, anybody automatically get tears that come to your eyes when you throw up? And it's like, it's the worst feeling in the world. But there are times in my life, one of them was like the night before preaching five times, and I'll never forget that day. There are times where I get so nauseous that I actually want to throw up. And it's like, it's, you know what I'm talking about? It's like sitting there and you're like, Something, something, something's got to happen. And something, because I can't function with this making me sick on the inside. I know that's a gross illustration, but stay with me. Some of you, that's the condition of your soul today because of how long prayers have been stuck inside your soul and never spoken out loud. And how long it's been since you've actually let it out to God what you want to see happen in your family, what you want to see happen in your marriage, and what you want to see happen in your day. Prayer is not a theoretical piece of our relationship with God that is reserved for prayer warriors. I don't consider myself to be a prayer warrior by any means. I get so convicted when I'm around the people in our church, particularly the women, who just absolutely love prayer, could do it all day, every day. And by the way, part of the reason why you're sitting here is because they pray. Don't be fooled by ACC reaching a lot of people thinking that I'm a good preacher or that our band plays good music. That's just the stuff that you see. The reason why people are drawn to this church is because a lot of people pray faithfully. And I, like, I'm so aware of that. You have no idea. But I'm around them, and I'm like, gosh, I need to learn how to pray. Or I need to learn how to love praying, because like, this is my job. But I will tell you this. I've been following Jesus almost 20 years now. There are more powerful breakthroughs that happen in my life spiritually in the secret place through prayer than have ever happened in a room of thousands of people. When you learn a relationship with God where you have the permission to tell him what you're sitting in and that you want more of him, and you watch him be faithful to answer those prayers over the course of your lifetime, it creates a confidence and awareness that the next thing I need spiritually is not the next Tim Keller book. The next thing I need spiritually is not Hillsong to come out with another album. The next thing I need spiritually is not a feeling to overwhelm me. The next thing I need spiritually is to fall on my knees before my heavenly father and ask him to come and fill me. That's where breakthrough is. And so I believe that's going to happen. You're like, why are you talking about prayer so much? Because Paul is about to pray in the book of Ephesians. He's going to stop at the end of that amazing introduction, and he's going to do this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I just want you to feel the weight of what he is saying to God through this letter on behalf of these people, because I believe his prayer for the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago is going to be our prayer for our church and our individual situations today. Now, we're ready. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over the 11 a.m. Hold it up. 
It's great. If you are married, engaged, or taken, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Everybody else, hold it up high. The higher you hold it, the more desperate you are. There it is. All right. Everybody turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you guys, some of you were at the night services last week. That was the most desperate Bible drill I've ever seen. It was seven months later, people like, I'm throwing it in the air. So I'm throwing it up. Somebody see me. So I'm excited about tonight. We're going to see if breakthrough happened this week through the Bible drill. Ephesians chapter 1, we're in verse 15, and we're picking up on the back end of the introduction we read last week. Ephesians 1, verse 15. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. For this reason, that means in light of everything I've said so far, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How many of you wish you prayed like that? Paul's language is just so beautiful. And I want to walk step by step through this prayer. Paul says in verse 15, go back to the beginning. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not, st- I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking. That's interesting to me. Paul says, I think about you guys in my prayers and I'm thankful. Because you got faith in the Lord Jesus and you got love for God's people. When you read that, you would think this church has arrived. And Paul says, I thank God for the progress you've made so far, but I'm asking for more. I'm not going to settle for what's happened for you so far spiritually. No, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In other words, Paul says, you've had a great start, but we're not stopping short. Come on, y'all know this. What's the mission of our church? Not stopping short of the life Jesus died and rose for us to live. Paul is going, I'm not content just that you got baptized. I'm not content that you know Jesus and you're going to heaven forever. No, there's another side of walking with Jesus that looks like spiritual vision. He says, I pray that God would give you wisdom and revelation. I pray that the Spirit would open your eyes so that you may know him better. That word for know is not about head knowledge. It's the same word talking about a husband knows his wife after they're married. It's a word that means intimacy, closeness. And Paul's going, I'm praying that you wouldn't just stop at being a believer in Jesus. I'm praying for spiritual vision to open up a whole new level of you knowing God. And here's what I want to happen. Verse 18. This is where we're going to be living. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know three things. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Paul says, I want you to go from mere knowledge to full experience. 
I want your doctrine to become affection. Some of us have grown up in circles, maybe in churches or in ministries or in families that majored on doctrine but did not give you anything in regard to affection. And let me tell you this, you could have all your doctrine directly in line with the Bible and believe everything that the scriptures teach. But if you have no affection in your heart to worship God and love people well, you've missed it. I don't want you today to become a biblical scholar who knows everything that's true about the Bible without a heart that longs for people to know Jesus. And more than that, a heart that longs to know Jesus personally yourself. It's more than information. It's more than a few truths. It's more than a few rules. It's a supernatural relationship where he knows you and you know him. And that knowledge of him relationally is setting you on fire with hope and with worth and with power. And listen, that is not reserved for people who stand on stages and yell. It's not reserved for worship leaders. It's not reserved for prayer warriors. If you are in Christ, this life is yours. And we actually want that type of a person walking around Auburn, Alabama to be more normal than a cultural Christian who attends church on Sunday sometimes. We want that to become more normal in this city where it's like, oh, if you love Jesus, you are a lot because there's a power and a hope over your life to where I'm not stopping at praying the three-step prayer one time and knowing I got fire insurance forever. I'm stepping into the fullness of what it means to know him better and the eyes of my heart have been opened. I've gone from knowledge to experience. I've gone from doctrine to affection and you combine those two things, you will be a powerful weapon in the hands of a holy God. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. If you're in a dark place today, for a few of you, you're in a valley and God is walking you through that valley and on the other side of this, the things he stripped away from you during this time will be things that you thank him for for the rest of your life. You are being refined, you're being made better, and it's hard. The vast majority of you who think you're in a dark place are actually in a dark place that you're one prayer away from seeing a new day. And too many of us get in a dark place and we assume that God put us there. Not that we're there and we're one prayer away from a new revelation that takes us into a new knowledge of who God is. So I don't want to not acknowledge that sometimes you go through seasons and it's just awful. And you got to hold on to God. you got to believe when you don't feel like it. And you got to pray when you don't feel like it. And you got to show up for church when you don't feel like it. But most of us, when we think we're in a dark place and we're in a lonely place, we make our home in the dark instead of seeing that as the very thing that should initiate a prayer to go, God, I don't want to sit in this. I might be in the darkness of night right now, but if the joy that comes in the morning could come over me like now or like 15 minutes from now, God, would you make that happen? Don't get content to sit in your dark place and go, I've made my home with hopelessness. I've now become cynical. I've now become pessimistic. Everyone who's around me gets to know about how much I've been let down in my life. Everyone who's around me gets to know about how much pain has happened to me. No, I believe God wants to open people's eyes today and say, hey, if you don't like the state of what you're sitting in right now spiritually, pray and pray that the eyes of your heart might be open so that you would know him better. Because God doesn't want us to stay and just, I believe that it's true. And I'm going to hold on to the confession of whatever that verse says. God wants us to be overflowing with a passion and hope for loving him and loving people. 
God doesn't want you to sit in apathy for the rest of your life. And so this is another moment where I'm preaching and I'm like, okay, I'm telling people to ask God to open the eyes of their heart and I don't have the capacity to do that for them. Did you know your heart has senses? I mean, you're like, I didn't know my heart had eyes. Your heart has the ability to discern things. But when we say open the eyes of my heart, I was like, oh, there's a song about that. Really old song, like Michael W. Smith, 90s old. 1998 to be exact, and I remember it well because in 1998, my whole life so far, I grew up going to a Southern Baptist church. My dad is an Italian Roman Catholic from Philadelphia. My mom's family was Pentecostal from the South. So they like to say they met halfway between Catholic and crazy, which is Southern Baptist. And (laughs) Southern Baptist says amen. Um, Of course he does. He's on the back row and said amen. Anyway, um, (laughs) that just happened. Um, This is becoming like the seven at the 11th. So, so they come to uh, me and my brothers one day, and they say, hey, um, we're going to go to a new church, and we're not going to go to the, the church we grew up in. And I was so sad, because we just started a new Sunday school class, and I finally got Miss Margie, and of course that was her name. And I was like, I'm really excited about this next year. And they said, we're going to a new church that meets at a hotel. And I was like, that's not a church. You have to have a steeple to meet, to meet together. This is 1998. Like, this is before meeting a hotel was semi-normal. Okay, And for some of you, you're like, it's not normal. I came to your hotel thing, and it was weird. Okay. But it's, it's a little more normal now. And, and we go, and they're like, hey, they also, they don't have hymnals, and there's no robes. Like, they have guitars. And, and I'm like, once again, not a church, not a church, not a church. And, and all, like, crossing off all these things. But we start going to this church, and I remember it being there at such a young age and hearing the same song before most of the sermons. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. And I was like, there's a level of discerning the presence of God that when you're in a a level of darkness that's covering it, you just simply have to ask God to reveal himself. And so I'm mid-sermon right now. I got some points I'm going to close this sermon with, but I was like, how do I tell them to ask God to open the eyes of their heart? And I'm like, you know what? Instead of yelling and making a good point about how you should pray that God would open the eyes of your heart, why don't I just give you the chance to ask God to open the eyes of your heart? And then I was like, I could sing, open the eyes of my heart. (laughs) I'm dead serious. And then I was like, no one would come back to church. So (laughs) Matt Cole, if you're you're around here, could you come up here? And we're actually going to have a moment right now. Now, part of the reason why we're doing this is to give you an opportunity to pray. But I believe when you combine prayer with song and make it a praise, it brings your affections into it. But I told Matt, I was thinking about uh, singing, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and he was like, we don't want to do that. And, and because one time I stood in front of you at a worship night, do you remember this? I stood in front of Matt at a worship night, like right in front of him at the AU Chapel. And uh, he was like, Miles, never stand in front of me at a worship night again. And because you told, you remember what you said? You said, you sound like a cat dying. <laughs> Which to me is a glorious sound. Anyway, sorry, I just told you what I think about cats. Um, Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. Matt's going to sing, open the eyes of my heart. And we're just going to hit pause in the middle of the sermon and knowing that there's some truth coming on the back end. But I want you to actually pray this out loud. I don't want you to just watch him. 
I want you to pray it, sing it, and let's just see if God is true to his word in this time together. Come on. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power in love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Amen. Can you give Matt Cole a hand for leading us so well? Thank you, bro. Oh, man. I know that's different. But I want to show you that it's different for me to talk about you praying and praising God than you actually releasing those words into the atmosphere and going, God, this is the posture of my heart today. I want to see you. And just to be honest with you, for me, it's possible for me to get in front of you and preach passionately and not feel God for myself. And so just for me to say those words of like, hey, don't let all of them see you and me be up here losing my voice yelling. I want to see you too. And if I don't pray that, if my heart's not in that place, I can miss out on the power and presence of God that's available for me. And when you make that your prayer, there's three things Paul is praying over the church at Ephesus. And these are the three things that I want God to release into this space right now. It's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, there's that word, know intimately, closely, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So when y'all ask me, how do, you, how do you come up with your three points for your sermon? How do you do that? My answer is, I don't. They're already there. I just say it in a way that makes it more relatable for your life right where you are. I'm not making this stuff up. So Paul says, I got a three-step prayer. I'm praying that you would know the hope to which you are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So those are our three points. We're going to go breaking through darkness, and we're going to do it right now. Somebody say breakthrough. Here we go. Point number one, overflow with hope. Somebody say hope. Paul says, I pray that you would know the hope to which you have been called. I love that. I love that that's the first one. Christians among all people on planet earth should always be overflowing with hope, regardless of the circumstance. And that's not to say that we're a group of people who's in denial of reality. Like we're not over here in a holy huddle while the whole world is burning down in division and brokenness going, thank God we have Jesus. Thank God we get to go to heaven one day. Everything's just going to get really bad for everybody else for a while, but we're going to hold on and we're going to have hope. No, 
Christian hope doesn't disengage from the pain of the world. The hope that we've been called actually fully engages and participates in that pain. It just believes that there's a greater hope beyond the circumstances that we see. And you see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus, the most hopeful person who ever lived, knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that he would take on the wrath of God for all of humanity. There is no more of a hopeless place to be in than to know God is going to unleash his wrath that is due sinners for their sin on you physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, every word that ends in L-Y. It happened to Jesus. And yet, Jesus lives his life with a hope that transcends the fact that everything is going to go from bad to worse. But because my God has resurrection power, I choose hope. You could be in the middle of the most hopeless set of circumstances today, and I'm still saying there's hope available for you. I'm saying there's hope to keep you from becoming a cynical, negative person who lets the brokenness of this world make them more and more into a person who's full of hopelessness and despair. And you see this, this is so true about Christianity because I wanted to ask a simple, compelling question to everybody who comes to church today. Have you ever met an old person who has hope, who is not a Christian? I have not. Because as life happens and as disappointment overwhelms you and as you see things and as you get your heart broken and as you get betrayed and especially as you get older and start to decay physically, there is no reason to have any hope unless you know Jesus. So you meet an old person who knows Jesus and they're the most gentle, kind person you've ever met. They know Jesus better than anyone you've ever been around or they're completely miserable and you want to run away from them. That's the fruit of a life that's rooted in hope or the fruit of a life that had their hopes dashed. And if your hope is in Jesus, I want to tell you today, your hope is not going to be disappointed. Do not put down your hope and do not allow yourself to drift to a place where circumstances dictate the level of hope and joy that you're walking with. Christians should have hope. And you know what? I'll say this. Christians should have some emotion that is on their life that you get around them and you are impacted by it. We are carriers of hope to a broken world. And that doesn't always look like loud, happy-go-lucky joy, but it's always present. Christian hope and joy is present at every Christian funeral. You go to a funeral and the person didn't know Jesus, that is saying goodbye in the most hopeless moment you could ever stand in. You go to a funeral for someone who knows Jesus, yes, it's sad. Yes, we miss the person. But there's a level of hope in the room where everybody in the room is going, that's not them. And this is not the end. We have a hope for all of eternity that we will be reunited with the people we love who are in Christ. And so, yes, it's sad to say goodbye, but it's not even goodbye. It's a hope that transcends every single circumstance and every single situation you find yourself in. And at the end of 2020, not a lot of us overflowing with hope. Not a lot of people talking about the future as if there's better days ahead than the days that are behind. And I'm so tired of, I'm so tired of people talking about America post-election, talking about the most Terrible things are coming and dark, dreary days. Listen, Christians, we have to have a positive look at the future because we're people of hope. Our hope is not in either one of those guys. Our hope is in a guy who's risen from the dead and he wins the story. So get your head up. But what if this happens to the economy? What if it does? Jesus wins. Well, what if there's riots and people are burning cities down? They're going to burn anyway. Jesus wins. And I hate to sound so callous toward real pain and real situations. I don't, I'm, I'm not meaning to sound that way. I'm meaning to say, what is your worldview? Is your worldview go America? Or is your worldview kingdom of God advancing? And if it stays kingdom of God, yes, I believe we should love 
and serve our country. And I'm so grateful to get to preach in a country where I can preach the Bible with no fear of what's going to happen to me because there are people in this country who defend that right so well. And we need to be grateful for that. And we need to talk about that. And we need to champion them always, always. But we never need to let that become our God. Jesus wins. It is his kingdom that is advancing. And so we will be a people of hope. We'll be a people of hope when we get betrayed. We'll be a people of hope when we get disappointed. And we'll be that way because God's going to give us spiritual eyes. Listen, you can't see that way unless God enables you to see that way. So if you're here and you're going, I cannot see the world that way when I read the news. Don't read the news. Read your Bible. <laughs> Overflow with hope. Somebody say hope. Number two. Number two. Know your worth. Know your worth. Oh, I've been waiting for this one the whole sermon. Okay. I need y'all to tune in. I need you to tune in. What do you say? Three-part prayer. Pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What in the world does that mean? Those are like, that's like biblical jargon. That you read that and you're like, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I would argue that's the most powerful section of the entire set of verses. Because it speaks to the worth of every believer. This is a verse that's had tons of debate and controversy around it because biblical scholars don't know what to do with this verse. Every other place in the New Testament where an inheritance is talked about, it's talked about in the context of the people of God receiving an inheritance in heaven. That already happened in Ephesians chapter 1. But the reason why this verse confuses a lot of scholars and the reason why there's a lot of tension and debate about it is because the owner of the inheritance in this verse is God. It says this, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And you hear that and you're like, God can't have an inheritance. God can't receive something that he doesn't already have. He's God. He owns everything. And then you realize his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If you have ESV, it says in the saints. That's because the only thing that God is still awaiting receiving for an inheritance forever, eternally, the thing that God is looking forward to the most forever and ever to receive for himself is us. His glorious inheritance in the saints. Another way of saying it, the saints are his glorious inheritance. Know your worth. You want to get out of the dark night in your soul that you're in right now? I want to tell you something. You know how much something is worth to someone by how much they're willing to pay to get it. Your worth to God could not be higher today. You are the inheritance that he is awaiting, and you are the byproduct of the blood of Jesus being shed. What was paid for your life? The blood of Jesus. That is heaven making an announcement on Calvary saying, there is no limit to the value that I have placed on your life. And the reason why I got to preach worth into you is because if you don't know what you're worth, you will have a tendency to settle for less. If you do not walk around in full awareness of what you're worth to the God of the universe, you will spend your whole life settling for versions of your worth that are perversions of what God has said about you. And that's why for so many young people in this room, especially the females in our church, there is nothing that will get me more fired up than a young girl who is so unaware of how much she's worth. And so you watch her get her heart broken again and again and again. You're going, if you only could get some vision and some knowledge for a split second of your worth from your heavenly father, you will no longer settle for that trap. You will no longer fall into that. And that's why for me, I've, you know, I've got two little girls and I was talking to my oldest daughter last night and I was like, I need, I got to start doing like date nights with her because if she doesn't get her worth from me, 
She's going to look somewhere one day. And we do the daddy-daughter date night, but I was like, I want to start like, taking you on a date more, more regularly. And she's, she's at the point where we can have a little bit of real conversations. And she was like, well, what about Elliot? And I was like, that's, my, that, that, that's our youngest daughter. And I was like, well, no, she's not old enough to come, but I'll take her on dates one day. And then Anderson was like, well, can I come when you take Elliot on dates? I was like, once again, no. Uh, she was like finding a way all weekend to make the negative out of whatever we were offering. She needs this sermon, honestly. <laughs> But I was looking into her eyes last night, and I'm like, her decisions will be the byproduct of how much she knows she's worth to me. And she won't even give the time of day to options that are less than her worth if she knows she has it from me. I I don't know what your relationship with your dad is like. I don't know what wounds you walked into this room carrying, but I do know this. What you believe to be true about what God sees when God sees you has a direct impact on the decisions you make and the things that you settle for every day. And if you know what you're worth to a holy God, you'll spend less time settling for an existence that's less than the life that Jesus died and rose for you to live. Know your worth. Know that you are worth Jesus to the God of the universe who wanted you in his family. And that truth, that God's inheritance is us thing, that was a game changer for me. I remember Francis Chan preaching that verse at a passion conference a long time ago. And feeling the weight of the fact that every time I pray, God wants me there more than I want to get his attention. We are his glorious inheritance. So know your worth. Somebody say know your worth. Somebody say hope. Number three, experience his power. Experience his power. Remember, I'm just reading straight through. That's all I'm doing. Don't say, oh, Miles just comes up with hype stuff and includes some verses sometimes. No, I'm just reading right through. That's all I'm doing. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, overflow with hope, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, that's worth, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You guys know when I get on like a rabbit trail mid-sermon, Paul is going to get on a rabbit trail about power right here. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love that. Because I want you to know his incomparably great power. That power is the same power that, and before you read it and go, same power that raised Jesus from the dead, think about it. He's talking about God. If Paul wants to pray for you to know his power, what should he pray in your mind? I don't think resurrection immediately. I think creation. Uh, If I was Paul, I'd be like, I pray that you know his power. That same power that he exerted when he said, let there be light into the darkness and boom, creation. That same power that fashioned together everything you see in the created universe, everything you see in the cosmos, everything you can't explain, that power, that's the power I want you to know. But Paul doesn't say that. Because for Paul, he would rather have you know God's power in resurrection than just mighty strength in creation. Why? Because it is more impressive that God can make dead things alive than it is that God can make something out of nothing. And the reason why that truth needs to land in your life today, it's not a philosophical cool thing to say. That truth needs to land in your life today because God would rather raise things from the dead in your life than move on to somebody else. Some of you are wondering why God hasn't moved on. 
Why has he not seen the level of darkness that I'm in and just gone with somebody else? It's because our God likes to demonstrate his power the most by raising something that's dead, not by moving on to somebody else and making something out of nothing. And so here's what God wants to do today. God wants to preach the gospel again today. And your life is the canvas. How do I experience God's power? You experience his resurrection for yourself. God doesn't just want us today looking back 2,000 years and going, that was awesome. He wants us looking up into heaven today going, this is awesome. Because that same power is present here. And so he doesn't show up going, pray a three-step prayer and believe in me. No, he shows up to your marriage and goes, I want to resurrect something that you never thought could come to life. He shows up to your addiction and says, the thing that you've tried over and over and over again to put down, I just want you to know there's freedom there and there's forgiveness in the middle of it because I'm a God of resurrection. He shows up in your hopelessness and goes, this will not end in suicide. This will end up in you speaking to people who are thinking about suicide because I'm really good at taking somebody who's in the darkness of night, lifting them above that and then letting them tell their story and resurrection power spreading everywhere. This is how the kingdom of God rises up and this is how resurrection becomes more than something we believe. It's something that we experience ourselves. So I want you in on that. How do I know I have it? The name. At the name of Jesus, breaking through darkness, the name of Jesus pierces the dark. What did Paul say? All power, above all rule, power, authority, and dominion, and every name that is invoked. The name of Jesus has power that no other name has. Somebody said to me at a wedding I was at recently, it was a, a pastor who gave me advice when we started ACC, He's a great guy. And he came to me, we haven't talked in years, and he was like, man, I love what God's done. And he was just very vulnerable with me, pulled me aside, and he's like, I've struggled a little bit with uh, ACC. And he said, not because I didn't think you were gonna do something incredible. I thought God was gonna use it in a powerful way, but I just, it's, it's a lot more than I thought God was going to do. And so I've asked, you know, even my own life and ministry, what am I missing? He said, so I started watching you guys' online gatherings, and I started asking questions about what happens in your church. And he said, I just want to encourage you. I think I figured it out. I think I know why God has decided to do something special through ACC. And I'm like, okay. He says, it's the name. You guys say Jesus and sing Jesus all the time. Yeah, you say Lord, you say God, you say Savior, but you got Jesus. His name is just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like you do not listen to a gathering that you guys do and walk out wondering who is the preacher and who is the band. You're Jesus everywhere. There's power in that. There's power above that because that any other name you invoke cannot pierce the darkness, but the name of Jesus has power. You don't believe me? If you're in a class right now, Bring up the name of Jesus. Make sure you say it like this, Jesus, and watch what happens. You're at work, you're with a group of friends, say Jesus, watch what happens. Now watch, watch what happens if you say a name like Muhammad or Gandhi or Buddha, no one will react. But if you say Jesus, all of a sudden, either there's a rally of hope for people who believe or there's a ton of tension and division. And there's people going, mm, I'm not comfortable with that. You wanna know why that name brings that kind of tension? Because Jesus is not a religious historical figure who lived 2000 years ago. He's a king with a kingdom. And he's got an announcement for planet earth. He's got an announcement for our country. He's got an announcement for every human being who has ears to hear. My kingdom is taking over through resurrection power. 
And so ACC, I want us on the front line of resurrection stories, not because we are the power, but because at the name of Jesus, we're watching resurrection power take ground from darkness. And if you're doing that in your life personally, and you're doing that, and we're all sharing in community, and we're sharing stories with people outside of here, all of a sudden, the powers of darkness and hell are shrinking back at the name of Jesus, and the church is who she always should have been, standing for what matters most, which is the glory and fame and renown of his name. That's who we're gonna be. That's why Jesus wins is on the wall. And that's why we want you to come to Saving Faith in Jesus. You can put your notes away. We're gonna have a moment in this place and I am believing for that breakthrough. I'm believing that the name of Jesus breaks through the darkness. Band, y'all can go ahead and come up here. You can stand up all over this place. I believe that as we sing, some of these things that I just said are actually going to happen. And I just wanna ask that when we sing this song, would you not just let our band sing it and observe? Would you participate in it if you believe it? If you don't, we're praying for you and we're with you. But if you want to take a moment right now to ask Jesus to come and fill your heart with resurrection power, now is the time. Would you bow your head all over this space? If you're in this place and you're going, I want a relationship with Jesus and I've never said yes to it before, but the eyes of my heart have been opened in this time and I want to respond with a yes. Would you pray this simple prayer? Would you just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you're coming again. And I want to be in your kingdom. You'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this room. I pray that your supernatural power would break through the darkness of all of what people are going through. God, you light up the darkness at the very acknowledgement of your presence. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you lift people out of depression? Would you lift people out of disappointment? Would you lift people out of the storm that they find themselves sitting in right now? And would you give us a new light? Would you give us a new hope? God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that our hope is not in vain. And we thank you that your power is real. I pray for thousands of people to understand their worth in the name of Jesus like never before. God, bring breakthrough. You're the only one who can do it. We love you and we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.